Good morning again. Buenos días para todos. Gracias por acompañarnos. Thank you for being here this morning with us. My name is Jose Nieto. Some people call me Goyo. Um, it's not my brother, it's just me. <clears throat> and uh, I am the outreach um, and community minister, and also I am the Hispanic uh, minister for, for this congregation. Um, uh, we're in kind of in between series, uh, and I, I, you know, I believe that this is an important time today uh, to think about uh, missions, to think about what our, uh, our church is doing, not only here in Nashville, but also uh, around the world. And so I'm going to try to spend some time today um, to see how much we can, we can cover in a, in a decent amount of time. So again, thank you for being here this morning. Listen, the Temple of Jerusalem has always been the most important uh, element in the Jewish belief system. As you remember, uh, the first temple uh, built by Solomon was destroyed by the king, the king of Babylon in about 587 B.C., and, uh, and it happens due to Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Uh, they were not willing to obey his command. They were not willing to do what uh, was pleasing in, in his eyes. So uh, they uh, end up, ended up... Uh, can you hear me? No? city of Israel, and the plan, uh, God's plan, was to rebuild his temple. And so in Isaiah, so we're going to turn uh, to Isaiah 60, it is it's on this, on this. Here we, we're back, here we go. So we're going to go back to Isaiah 60, uh, and I'm going to read a little bit of what Isaiah uh, saw about 200, two centuries before uh, the destruction of the temple uh, and, and the people of Israel being taken away from their land and all the destruction that happened because they were not faithful to God. So in Isaiah 60 verse 9 says, Surely the islands took to me, look, look to me, in the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. And this is kind of the key verse that I want you to keep in mind for the rest of this message. Verse 10. 
foreigners will rebuild your walls. Sometimes we believe that, you know, that we're the people of God. We believe we're the church. But remember that when you read the scriptures, the story of redemption, there was a time when we were not the people of God. Remember that time? We were the outsiders. We were far from God. We didn't know his laws. We were not part of his people. But it's interesting that even though they were taken, the people of God were, were, was, were, were taken away, they are captive in a different country, their, built, their temple is completely destroyed. He said, foreigners are the one rebuilding the temple. And their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor, favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut, day or night, so that people may bring you the well of the nations. You know what the well of the nation is in God's eyes? It's people. The well of the nations is not gold and silver. You guys, all of us, are the most precious thing in this world. And of course, he's talking about the kings, right? They're going to come and build the temple. Cyrus, do you remember? King Cyrus. He's the one who told the Jewish people in Ezra, you can find that in Ezra, uh, you want to go back and rebuild the, the, the temple. And, and then there was, a, you know, a man, you know, that, that, that lead the Jews, Zerubbabel, you know, it's a beautiful name. You were looking for a name for your child. That's one. <laughs> he was the one, you know, that began the laying of the of the of the, the temple, and working on the temple. But there, during that time, there was a, a very important uh, figure in history, and it was Nehemiah. And 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 he had a really really important role because he noticed that yes, the the temple is being built. And he noticed that there were not many people. After even the king said, told the Jewish people, you can go back, uh, people didn't want to go back. Right? It was a disaster. Uh, The the city of God was in complete ruins. Who wants to go back there? Who wants to go back there? And I see, you know, a lot of similitudes, similarities, with, with, you know, the people I, 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 I minister to. All of these, the, the immigrants that come to this country that I get to hear the stories. I'm coming from a country that is completely destroyed by socialism and communism. It's a mess. And, and, and it's sad when you don't, you don't want to go back even to visit because it's hard to find gas. It's hard to find food. It, it is just a complete mess. So even though this, the, the people of God had the temple, had the city, had the promises of God, they didn't want to go back. And so at the end of the day, there were maybe about a thousand people in Jerusalem by the time Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you say, Nehemiah, we say, Nehemiah came to, to the picture. So he asked about Nehemiah, said, well, what was, what's going on down, down in Jerusalem? And he, you know, he was working, uh, he was in um, working for a foreign king, 
Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1 now. And, um, and he decided to do something about this. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. It's talking about the, the 20th year of the king. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Listen, when you live away from your, from your city, from your town, uh, you never forget your land. So you're always, I'm personally always looking at news and checking on my family, talking to church members, and asking how is the church doing? How are the people doing? Verse 3, they, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the, less than 2,000 people, <clears throat> to, to exaggerate, in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Listen to this. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been, have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For many days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So there is this beautiful prayer. And, um, and so he started asking God to forgive his sins, to forgive the sins of his people. And so he started to try to remind God of his promises. Verse 10. Boy, I have it somewhere there. One in verse 10. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Um, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So since he was, you know, in a position where he could maybe talk to the king, and, you know, he, being the cupbearer, I mean, he brought the wine, and when a king is drinking wine, is when, you know, they're playing Vive la Vida Loca type of song, and, and you know, having fun. And so he, he was probably, Nehemiah was a guy with, with a good character, and, and, and the, probably the king was happy to see Nehemiah. Do you know anyone that you're happy to see him? You know, there are people that are funny and, and you want to be around. I'm sure Nehemiah was this kind of guy that, that the king was happy to see. And then it's interesting then that um, then after, you know, this time of prayer and he said, well, I, I need to do something for my people. Uh, he was sad. And then one day he came in into the presence of the king and, and, and he saw, the king saw, there's something wrong with this guy. Maybe it was, it was those days when he was, uh, you know, fasting and, and, and praying and mourning. 
And so the king says, uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And again, this reminds me in the New Testament when people, Jesus saw people lost, he, he heard in his heart. Because he saw him like, like, like sheep without a shepherd. And it's, you know, he had this feeling for the people. And this is, then the Bible says, I was very much afraid. I mean, that could be a dead sentence. He cannot come bring sadness to the king. He's supposed to be the clown. I was very much afraid, verse 3. Are we there? Not yet. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what is it that you want? Boy, that's a beautiful question. And when you look at the story, when you keep reading, he just said, then I pray to the God of heaven. I mean, that was a one-second prayer. You know, like, God help me. And I answered the king. And it's interesting that Nehemiah then goes to tell the king, the king everything he needed. So ahead of time, even before he asked, he knew already what he wanted to do. He knew how much time it would take him, the amount of resources that he will need, the political favors necessary to reach his destination, and the resources and where to find those resources. I mean, he was 100% ready. And, you know, 60, about 16 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, I was in North Carolina. I used to be the, the minister of a old-speaking, old-Spanish-speaking congregation. Uh, by the time I left, we had about 260 people and, uh, who had immigrated. In, they were immigrants from, from Mexico, uh, spe specifically from an area, a state called Guerrero. Guerrero, Mexico. And, you know, Guerrero have their big cities, but they were from the countryside. But it's the countryside that looks like Lubbock. Have you, been in, have you been in Lubbock, Texas? Oh, boy, that's ugly. That's a, I'm sorry, you're from Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> it's dry. It's sand all over the place. It, it's hot. And, and there is not much to do in Guerrero, Mexico, in non-level Texas, there are people who will be living there. Sorry for you guys, but it's green over here. And, and it's, and there, I mean, and, you know, I went there, and there is not farming, there is not cattle, there is not, there's nothing. I mean, it's just poverty. It's very poor. And, and most of our members came, came from there. But, so we were studying the book of Nehemiah in our uh, men's, I, I always have, everywhere I go, I always put together a men's discipleship group. And, and, and here we get together every week, and I teach them how to teach, and I teach them how to live a Christian life, and I help them to become deacons and elders, and, and, and it's a leadership training, but also friendship. It's kind of what Jesus did. 
you know, spend time with, with these guys. So we, we do it here too. So my group there, you know, I, you know we were studying the, this book. And I told them, what are we going to do about this? And my point to you guys, for everyone here today, we need to stop just coming to church and, 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 and reading the Bible and hearing about what the Bible says and looking at the, looking at the beautiful things, the, the promises of God, and do nothing about it. Right? Because we, we, we come, we, it's easy to come to church every Sunday and think, oh, I mark my Sunday and this is Christian life. And it's not like that. And I told, so I, I came up with this idea. I told them, listen, we're, you know, we are here in the United States. We might not, at the time, I think um, it, was, it was before Obama, uh, the guy from Texas, the president, Bush, <laughs> Bush number two. I, I, I forgot his name. So he, um, George, brother George. So I told him, listen, I don't work for George Bush. And none of you does. But guess what? We have Jesus. And he gives us access to God. Number one. Number two, you guys are making money. I mean, you're making, you're earning dollars. And you can earn here in an hour what people earn there in two weeks. And I said, what, what, let's pray about putting our resources together, praying to God, and let's go back to your, your area where you guys come from, and let's build the, will, the walls of the church. Let's put God to test, and your faith, and my faith to test. And so we start praying, and we come up with about 35 names of people that they knew. And this is our grandparents. And, and, and cousins and family members. At the time, the church was smaller. I mean, we have maybe 100 people. And so we had about 30, 40 names, and we start praying about these people by name. And uh, to make a long story short, because I know you like short, right? Uh, I want to read you the, the report that I sent to my sponsoring congregation after I came for that trip. So I went, we ended up going down. So I went with two other men from my congregation. One was the first member we had in, in, at Brewer Road in Winston-Salem. And then the other one was a, a, a fantastic evangelist. And he was very respected in the community. He was everybody's uncle. So I took the two of them who knew the people, of course, and, and, and then I went with them. So we went and spent a whole week and I'm going to read you, the, just to summarize, what happened that week. That was in April 2008. I'm getting old. Although our trip took eight days, we only had six full days to work. They were very intensive days. We studied and visited people from the morning until late at night. And we went just like that. I mean, we went to a house, three, four, five, six, seven people gathered. And I, I, you know, talked to them, and, and then afternoon and evening, day after day, day after day. We had uh, Bible study groups every single day. Before leaving for Mexico, we had a list of 35 people that we were supposed to talk to. We prayed for them by name, asking God to soften their hearts. We ended, we ended up studying with more than 70 people during those wonderful days. Many, many beautiful things happened. The word of God was powerful enough to make three elder, elderly ladies who hadn't talked to each other for nine years, 
to reconcile. That sermon on that Sunday was about reconciliation and how God brings re reconciliation, Jesus. There was another reconciliation that first Sunday morning. A brother and sister that had not talked to each other for two years hugged each other and came to peace. When, on Monday, the oldest of the three ladies, remember there were three ladies that didn't talk to each other for about a decade, she was 97 years old, decided to, to be baptized. Her name is Ines, and I'm telling you, is Ines because she's alive. She's more alive than you and me. She was 97 at the time. She's long gone, but she is Ines. She, is not, she wasn't. She is. We had to, to walk about three city blocks on the hot river bed to get into the water. Tuesday was another busy day. We went to the next town, Rancho Alegre. There, we, we gathered at the house of our sister Leticia's mom. There was a nice group of about 15 people. A friend of the family was paying close attention to the preaching of the gospel and with only one sermon, decided to get baptized. It will take a lot, a lot of time and space to tell everything that happened that week. This is just a glance of the power of the message we have in the gospel. Many lives were touched. Many contacts were made. And a lot of people are waiting for us to find a place and a preacher to establish the Lord's church. So they said, okay, now we're Christians. And where do we go? That we didn't have a preacher. We didn't have a place. And whoo, okay, so that, that was a challenge. And so this is a new challenge for the Brewer Road congregation. That was the name of my, the church where I was working. We have had many big challenges in the past. And with the help of the Lord, we have overcome them. Our next step is to find a person willing to go and continue this wonderful work. We calculate that with $500 a month, a young couple or a single person can have everything they will need. At this moment, we don't, we don't know where this money is going to come from, but it will get here. It is a matter of time. So that was the first trip. A year later, we went back, and I'm just going to read a very short portion of my report of the second trip. The Lord has blessed us with the opportunity to baptize seven other people for the forgiveness of their sins. It was 13 on the first trip, seven on the second. Two days after we came back from Mexico, three more people obeyed the gospel. Now the church has 22 members in only one year. The Sunday we were there, we had almost 70 people worshiping in a house, that we were, we were renting a house. And at that time, we already had a preacher in place. A year, a year, late, a year later. A couple of years later, our immigrant, blue-collar, Spanish-speaking congregation bought a piece of property. So with our money, we, we, we got our resources. I remember it was tax time. People say immigrants don't pay taxes. Baloney, they do pay taxes. <laughs> they do pay taxes. And so it was tax the taxes, the taxes time because they use uh, a 19 number and they, the government is going to get the money even if you are not uh, legal. And so they got, you know, they get the refund or whatever. And so I took advantage. I knew money was coming. I said, let's make a special contribution and let's buy a piece of land. It's a piece of land, maybe a little bit bigger than this auditorium. And we bought it. 
And then with the help of the, the Southwark Church of Christ, who was my sponsoring congregation, we built them a building. This is the building today. This is the church today. After uh, just believing what the Bible says, understanding that we got connections in the heavenly places. That's what Ephesians tells us. Understanding that, that we serve the king of kings. Yes. And sometimes we limit God. And we put money where we don't, we don't supposed to be putting money. And the, 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 the mission of the church, the central mission of the church, is to bring the wealth of the world into the feet of Jesus. People are the wealth of the, the world. People are the most important thing in this world, and we need to hear for them. We need to feel that they're really important. So in the same chapter, uh, uh, chapter 60 of, of Isaiah, you know, I, I showed you that there was a prophecy in chapter uh, verse 10 that you know, foreigners will rebuild your walls. Well, the, 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 the walls were built, and the worship started again. So that's what we call the second temple. That is, you know, it was working from that time until the year 70 AD when it was destroyed. And Jesus talked about that, remember? So there was a second destruction of the temple uh, up until today. Because these, the Jewish people did, did not stay faithful. But I want to show you something very beautiful in Isaiah 60. So he's talking, verse 10, he's talking about foreigners, foreign, foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their king will serve you. And that, that, that building was built with the help of foreigner kings. Right? But there is something more important there. And I want to show you that God never thought that uh, salvation was just for the Jewish people. He was always thinking about, about the nations. And at the end of chapter 60, we can see God's eternal plan for his church. He never intended to limit himself to the Jewish people. His plan has always been to bring to the gates of his kingdom, kingdom people from all nations, races, and languages. Amen? So now we want to go to uh, Isaiah 60. And we want to read in verse uh, 18. I want to move ahead. It says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, no ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation. And I just see the walls of the church right there, guys. And your gates praise. Verse 19, the sun will not, will not, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. And this is an early... Um, an early uh, description of heaven. And, and Revelation 21 comes from that passage. 
And this is even before the, build, the first temple was destroyed. Before the first temple was destroyed. Because what all, God is always looking toward the future. He's looking to the, to the restoration of the city of God. The city that is coming from heaven to us. Right? And a city that then, Revelation 21, I did not see a temple in the city. Verse 22. We are the temple of the Lord here on earth. And then says in Revelation 21, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are His temple. The city does not need to, the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is His lamp. The nations will walk by His light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into, into it. Know that uh, no, they will it gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there, and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The honor and the glory of the nations are people again. God is not interested in your money, in your gold, in your silver. He has plenty. That the biggest treasure that we can bring to the Lord, the biggest sacrifice is, is people. Amen. So a few. Uh, so we have several uh, several uh, missionary, missionaries that we are supporting in Central America and South America now. So we, you guys know about uh, the work in Nicaragua and Chacaraseca. This is Chacaraseca in Nicaragua, and this is our brother uh, uh, Agenor Munguia and his wife Maria. And as you can see, the church is doing. Beautiful there. We're actually planning to go there in the summer if you want to, you know, again, taking part of the mission of this church. If you guys want to join us, it's not just for teenagers. Uh, adults can come. And the, we want to split in two groups. Some people are going to go with JP to work uh, at this, uh, what's the name of the place? Ciudad Para Cristo. I don't remember the name of the mission, but they're going to work in a, in a specific place. And then I'm going to go with Sarah and whoever wants to join me to Chacaraseca and do some work there. I want to do some preaching and teaching. And we can, well, I'm going to be working with kids uh, and youth. And then the teenagers are going to join us at the end of the week to get to know the church. And we probably want to go to a volcano or go somewhere to have fun, too. So there is a trip at the end uh, just to have fun. But we're planning to do a church-wide uh, mission trip to Nicaragua. And again, we want to split into two groups. We want to be raising some money for it. Uh, if you can come, that would be awesome. If you can't, start praying for us. And, and, you know, bring your wallet one of these Sundays and help us out. But um, so that's the, the, what we're doing in Nicaragua. We also have a missionary. We're supporting a missionary in El Salvador. He's struggling. Uh, he's with health. He's, getting, he's about to retire. And uh, I'm not going to go along with what's going on with the church there. But play for Roberto. And the church in El Salvador, he is in a, in, in a gang-infested area, country. And the gangs don't let him preach outside of his community. He can get killed if he goes to a different community to preach the gospel. So he's in a pretty rough situation. And, you know, when you get sick and you want to go with the Lord, just go, go ahead and do it. You know, and just take, it, take a short trip to heaven. But the elders, and this is the exciting news for today... Let me have the, the information here. So the elders um, decided, 
uh, a couple of months ago, a few months ago, uh, after I, I, told, I talked to them about the situation in my country. And uh, a lot of, because of the situation in the country, okay, we have about 28 million Venezuelans. Seven million have left the country. Imagine the amount of people, and the majority, seven million out of 28. That's a big chunk of people. And the majority are young people, young professionals. And of course, that has impacted the church. A lot of good leaders, even elders, have left. Uh, preachers have left the country. And uh, this is a big mess. And so I told the elders, there are a couple of young families. This is Jesus Quero. He's in Amazonas. Yes, it's the Amazon. Venezuela, Colombia, and Brazil, we all share the Amazon. And so there is a state in Venezuela called Amazonas, or Amazon, and he's working there with six different uh, indigenous communities. He's actually in the process of building a church building for one of those communities uh, and, and working really hard there. He is an evangelist by heart. He says that he goes there and he is sleeping in hammocks, eating by mosquitoes all night, and he spent time with the indigenous people. His dream is to have a school of preaching in the Amazon to reach out to all those communities. Pray for that guy. He had big dreams. Big dreams. We're not giving him full support. We're just uh, supplementing his, his salary. Uh, but things there in Venezuela are now in dollars and nobody earns dollars. So it's just it's a complete mess. So we also have uh, Jonathan Hernandez. He's working for the San Cristobal uh, Church of Christ in this is my hometown. That's about an hour, an hour, an hour and a half from the border uh, to Colombia. And uh, so he's also, he's a young family, and he's an evangelist. He lead, he's a, a song leader, and he helped with the children, uh, he, the youth ministry. His wife is a children, children's minister. She doesn't get paid for that. She does it for free. Uh, and he has been struggling, has been living with his parents because they don't have, they don't, they don't earn enough money to even rent a place. So we came in to supplement a little bit. It's not a lot that what we give him, but it's, they're happy. This is where the money needs to go, guys. And it's, it's not a lot. I'm telling you, it's not a lot. And I'm, I'm thankful that I, I serve in a church and you should be thankful to, like Antioch, where we are trying to remove all the barriers possible, right? This is a church, the heart of this church, and that's why I'm, I'm here today. And I can tell you the story how I got here, how Ephesians chapter 2 got me here. And, and that's a story for a different sermon, but uh, this is a church that has been working very hard. The elders intentionally looking for ways to remove barriers. I don't know if you know, but now we have Pamela Gonzalez. She's working part-time with us, helping us to connect the different ministries and, and, and sending communications in Spanish, trying to get those barriers removed, trying to serve better our, our Hispanic members, but also to serve uh, better our communities. I'm going to finish up with this story. I'm not going to even read it. But you remember, there was a, a, a time with Jesus. Uh, there was the last, uh, the last week of Jesus' life. And he, you know, he was in Jerusalem. 
In Mark chapter 11, if you remember, the night before, Jesus came to the temple. He came to the temple. It was already night, the Bible says. And he looked around. He saw what was going on. It was right before the Passover festivities. And so the next day, he came back. It says in Mark chapter 11, verse 15 and 17. So they came, came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold those. And he will not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he thought, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. So people, when, when people read this, they say, Well, yeah, well, these people were there, and maybe over overpricing the sheep and making money out of the exchange and it was like a market and well that I don't believe that was necessarily why Jesus was mad because those things were necessary I mean the sheep and the loaves they were necessary for the sacrifices I do believe that Jesus was mad because all of that business was happening in the court of the Gentiles that happened in the court of the Gentiles so we already have the, the Holy of Holies, and there is a curtain, and then you have the holy place, and then you have the court of the men, and then you have the court of the woman. And out there, outside, there, is, there was a space for you and me. You are Gentiles. Don't believe that we, we are special. No, we're not special. We were added to the kingdom. And so there was the place for the Gentiles, and Jesus was mad. Because the Jewish people didn't care about the nations. And they didn't even have a place to get closer to God. So besides being away from, from the presence of God, now we got a bunch of people being a barrier. And, and Jesus was not a happy man. Right? And I can just imagine people running away from him. He was mad. That's the only time in Scripture, well, a few of the times, where he was really, I don't remember, I never, I don't remember being so mad that I was throwing tables and pushing walls. Or, he was that mad because he understood that the nations are part of his kingdom. The nations are part of the plan. So that's my message for today. Again, I, I want to thank the elders and I want to thank all the ministers and I want to thank all the people uh, in this church that, that make an effort to make uh, our visitors welcome, regardless of their skin color, regardless of where they come from. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that. That's the heart of Christ. Thank you for helping us to remove barriers. It's, it's really important to do that. We're having, again, this mission trip. I want you to pray for our um, missionaries. I'm going to give you something also. This afternoon, I'm going to send a link to everybody who had a phone number in our RIS uh, directory. And if you want to receive the, the reports from our two missionaries in Venezuela, I can put you in the, they, they send a report every two months, about every two months, two months and a half. 
And if you want to uh, read what's going on and pray about them, I'm going to send the link. You just have to put your name and your email. That's it. And you will get those reports, and you will know what's going on because it's going to be hard to give a report here. And then you can pray for our missionaries. Sounds good? Again, on Wednesday, we also have this interest meeting. If you want to go to, uh, to Nicaragua, uh, come to this meeting on Wednesday. If you can't, talk to me, talk to JP, and we'll let you know about the plans. It will cost about $1,600 to go down there, including all the expenses. And uh, we want to raise money also to help. But that's kind of what we're thinking is going to be the, the price. If you want to sponsor someone, that's great. If you want to go yourself, that's great. If you don't have money to sponsor and you can go, then please, your prayers are important to have a safe trip and to make an impact in, in those communities. Amen? So let's have a time to pray. And I would like for you to come. We can stand, uh, please. And I want to ask you, remember I told you at the beginning, I gave, we have names of people. So if you know someone in your, family, in your family, your community, your neighborhood uh, that needs Christ and you haven't talked to them, just bring those names to the Lord. You can come and talk to the elders too. If you want to come forward and, and, and you know, pray for this church, if you want to do it from where you are, just continue to pray that we can be good uh, stewards of our money, but also that we will be able to remove any barriers that are keeping people to come to Christ. Amen.